You're listening to Around Comics, episode 172. This is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast. I'm Christopher Naisman, and welcome to our post-Super Bowl edition of Around Comics. Congratulations to the New York Giants for their come-from-behind upset win over the New England Patriots, 17-14. to uh, Great game, but uh, advice to anyone out there that does a podcast, don't schedule a party on Super Bowl Sunday if you put out a regular Monday podcast. That's why this one is coming to you just a little late, but that's alright. It was a lot of fun, and always enjoy the Super Bowl parties. Uh, coming up on today's episode, we talk with one of our favorite guests, Mr. Rick Remender drops by to talk about some of his projects like Fear Agent, Sorrow, the uh, just released End League, and lots more. So that'll be here in just a couple moments. We also check in with the guys from across the pond. The quiet panelologists at work continue their A to Z of British comics. Tom Caters is back as the answer man. Jeremy Mullins gives us a great webcomic recommendation. And Chris Marshall from the Collected Comics Library and Tom Caters get us ready for the week ahead with new trade paperback and collected edition releases as well as single issue releases. All that and more is next on this post. Super Bowl edition of Around Comics. This episode of Around Comics is sponsored by Ape Entertainment. And now available from Ape is Bizarre New World. The critically acclaimed series returns in a new prestige one-shot. After the first miniseries, the cat is out of the bag. The worldwide population suddenly gains the ability to fly. A desperate phone call from his son forces Paul Crutcher to run the gauntlet of insanity to get to Arizona. But with chaos ripping across the planet and everyone airborne, the journey through California won't be easy. Find out why AintItCoolNews.com called Bizarre New World one of the best new comics of 2007. Pre-order your copy of Bizarre New World Population Explosion from the February issue of Previews. And to purchase the original three-issue miniseries, head to your local comic shop or visit Ape at www.apecomics.com. As I said at the top of the show, Rick Remender is one of our favorite guests. We've had him on several times, and he always brings a lot of great comics enthusiasm and knowledge to the show. So it's always exciting to find out what he's working on. And as you'll find out in the interview, he's a very prolific creator. He always has several titles going at the same time. And one of the best ways that you can keep up with Rick is by going to his website, rickremender.com. Or he's also a part of the great forum at Image Comics. And if you go to Image 
Comics.com and visit their forums. He has a sub-forum there and is always updating preview pages and information on whatever projects he's working on. So I highly suggest that. It's a great group of people over there and a really fun uh, and uh, well-natured message board. So, so let's get to it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with comics creator Rick Remender. Well, Mr. Remender, welcome aboard. It's always good to talk with you. How you doing, man? I am excellent. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, I, I had talked to Sal before uh, before I came home tonight and asked him if he had any questions for you. And, and he's like, you're talking to Rick? Didn't you just talk to him a, a couple months ago? And, and I was like, yeah, but you know Rick. In two months, he's he's announced like eight new projects. So you know, we got to talk to him again. So the 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 ever changing and evolving world of Rick Remender, you're a hard guy to keep up with. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hooker. I'm a man hooker. So I, this is this is just Chris. The rest of the guys couldn't even be bothered because they're like bored of it, right? They're like whatever. You know, okay, again. They they've talked they've talked to you. So you you bore them basically. That's fine. Uh, they bore me. You're the only one I love. Ah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, we, we do have a special bond because I tell people that originally I did meet you in the men's room at the Hyatt in Chicago. So It's true. Yeah. It was a special time. <laughs> it, was, it was a special time. Um, well, hey, man, you got you got plenty of stuff going on. Um, I want to I start with uh, with my favorite ongoing title that uh, that you have and and uh, a couple questions with with the art teams and that's uh that's fear agent which has continued to stay strong that was actually one of the first things that you told me about in that said bathroom in chicago right. was uh right. this this future uh two-fisted man of action story that you were doing with tony moore and uh yeah it was uh, it was great to hear about it then, and it has it's lived up to everything that 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 you told me in the bathroom that it would be. Um, interest now that uh, that we know that uh, the exterminators is wrapping up. Uh, do you guys still have the same plan to keep Tony and Jerome on alternating arcs? Uh, that's yeah yeah, and we've got you know we're uh, contracted at Dark Horse for another couple of arcs still. So, and we've got some big plans coming up for the summer for Fear Agent. So, yeah, it's going to keep going on and on for, for at least another. Um, my plans, I have scripted out right now another three arcs uh, at least. And it's so easy to write. Like, <laughs> after that, you know, it, I, I might, we might take a break and recharge, but um, it's definitely it would definitely only be a couple few months. You know, it's um, it's been an interesting series. It, it started out as just this really fun sci-fi action adventure series, and you didn't know when it was placed or or really what was going on in the larger universe. But over the course of the series, you really have built a larger universe, and it's changed companies. You've gone from Image to Dark Horse, and uh, the the book has really evolved a lot. But in the last, well, really kind of since the move to Dark Horse, the book has taken on a kind of a dark twist to it was that were you guys very intentional about kind of making the book a lot darker i think if you read the second trade i mean in the first trade he's basically uh by the end of it you know he is is killed and then and, and, you're, and he's uh he's also out there and trying to change change the past so that he can undo what happened to his family mm-hmm. uh the, and then you know you've got drug addiction and and uh attempted suicide in the second volume uh, and then in the third volume, you've got genocide. And then in the current one, Hatchet Job, you've got um, you've got a, a, a lot of un, unlucky uh, uh, 
bad luck falling in his lap as well. So I think it's always sort of had, um, uh, you know, a darker, a bit of a darker tone. I just um, remember it being being very fun and lighthearted for some reason. I maybe yeah. that maybe that reflects badly on my psyche, Rick. No, I mean, I, you know, I try and bounce <laughs> it around. I just think that no, no book. It really depends on where things are at in the story. I don't really think that there's. For me, I don't like playing um, humor when when there's tragedy. Mm-hmm. I know that we need some comic relief, but I think that like when I'm playing a tragic event in a character's life, I really want to play it that way, and um, and and, and it's it's easier to sort of invest for me when I do that. And things aren't always going to you know be you know sad and downtrodden and, and you know. Well, and it's not that it's a sad and downtrodden book, but I did feel that you know from from the first couple arcs, it was it was this you know just kind of like crazy uh, sci-fi adventure, and then you guys uh, did the war story, which was very much I think a love letter to EC war style yeah. comics, and and it, and it it really read like a war comic, even though it had a, a, a sci-fi background to it. And and if you go back and read any of those EC war stories, they they do kind of have that feel. They're they're obviously not happy-go-lucky comics, and I thought that was you know very 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 true to the inspiration of what you guys were trying yeah. to accomplish there. Well, if you go back and read those, I mean, it's it's well documented that Kurtzman was trying to, like, um, he wasn't really a big fan of what was going on with the Sergeant Rock or the G.I. Joe style. Uh, I, it might have, that might have even predated Sergeant Rock. It might have just been some of the other G.I. GI combat-type books that were going on. But um, I've read in a few cases that he found that the depiction of war in comic books was juvenile and it was one-sided. And so he would always try and present... Um, it, he would always try and present it how it was, because um, you know he was working with Wally Wood, who had just come come back from war, and, and some of the the other guys had as well. And so I remember when I was reading that, it was uh, inspiration to me because I always knew that there was a twist in Heat's origin that people weren't going to see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last goodbye kind of gave me an opportunity to. That show him in this war, and and also show that it wasn't what you expected, and to show that twist, and and so in that sense, it was hopefully um, living up to some of the standards that guys like Kurtzman set. How do you find the time to to research stuff, and how do you find the time to actually read for pleasure? Because you you always seem to have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. Um, at this point, the reading for pleasure thing is pretty difficult because after 13 hours of, of writing, it's it's hard to sit down and stare at more text. So I usually end up just playing Call of Duty 4 with friends online and, and trying to <laughs> escape from reality. But lately, I've um, lately I've been been trying to keep up on um, on what my friends at least are up to and and, uh, and what are some of the major you know major things that are going on in, in different comic books. And um, it's uh. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to keep up with it for me. I I've, I've got a, a lot of writer friends who can still read a box of comic books every week, oh. and I don't know why I don't know why that's so um, hard for me. It feels like work. So a lot of the time, what I'm doing now, when I'm catching up, like before I did the Atom, I um, I read all of all of Gale's run, and then I went back and read all of the um, the uh, Gil Kane Gardner Fox stuff to get my head into it. And, uh, you know, just reading that much material, that many comic books, that's two days, two and a half days of your life. Congratulations, by the way. You're getting some, uh, some love from DC and going to be taking over for, uh, for Gail Simone. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 
it's it after after uh, after writing uh, enough at, at Image and uh, and IDW and Dark Horse now and, and various companies, is, is it is it are you finally to the point that you can walk into the offices at the big two and not uh, be referred to as the guy who's an anchor? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I think that that's I, I I mean you know not that I have and we've talked about this before not that I have any qualms with it if I were um, I think that inking is a you know prestigious and beautiful sure. art form that that's looked down upon by this industry and it's kind of sad but yeah no I mean it's nice and that I think that um, I think that you 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 prove yourself by doing mm-hmm. and uh, people seem to have responded to uh, you know to the books that I've been writing and. Uh, so it's uh, you know, I guess I guess the proof is in the pudding, Chris. Sure. I, <laughs> I guess in between guys like you know you and Jimmy Palmiotti and Andy Parks, and I know I'm probably not listing a lot of other anchors that have shown that they have some some great writing skills. But you know, it's it's nice to see that that you guys are are finally able to to say, hey, you know what, we're 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 more than than one skill set in the in the. Well, industry. why aren't those guys writers who can ink? You know, why are they inkers who can write? It's it's all perception. It's all because sure. you knew them as inkers first. Mm-hmm. Andy Parks was writing was writing comic books, you know, at the same time he was penciling and inking them and doing his independent stuff with, with Hester and those guys. Sure. Um, it's all perception-based, you know. Like art, I can draw and ink. Inking is a part of drawing. It's a part of making an illustration. I can do both, both of those jobs, and, and I can animate. Um, but, you know, before I was doing any of that, I was in college and, and focusing on being a writer. So um, when I started doing inking, I was just paying the bills and doing something that I find cathartic. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proud of the, uh, the, inks, the inks that I put over Kieran on the Avengers and, and some of the other gigs I did. But yeah. it really comes down to, like, you know, I don't know. I like, it, it's, it's the sort of people's inherent need to like pigeonhole everything and have like oh you're an inker well no you saw me ink something but i was actually an animator before that and before that i was you know i was focusing on being a writer so i was going to ask you that that how did you get into the writing gig so you actually kind of started out like that but i i would imagine you know i've, I've seen your, your art is fantastic you, know, you obviously have you know, good inking skills. So I had always just kind of thought that you were either an art school guy or or came up as sure. an artist. And you know, that's just kind of how you you hear about folks like that. You know, it's like John Byrne didn't start out as a writer; it's he was he was an artist. So I'm actually uh, not surprised, I guess, that you were a writer, but uh, um, not not maybe what I expected. Yeah, my mom my mom is an is an English professor, and my dad's a lawyer. So I've I've had you know um, I, I had I had well, you know, I was, I was, my mom, instead of reading me nursery rhymes, I was taught, like, Greek mythology as a kid, and, and, and so I was always set for, you know, to kind of, kind of follow on that path, and, um, you know, most of the stuff I was doing in college was mixed between creative writing and writing classes, as well as, as, as art stuff, so it was both, hmm. um, but I had always seen the art as sort of a, a, a long shot, and uh, I even went to the Cooper School for a couple weeks, which helped dissuade me from pursuing it. I was just going to focus on my writing, and when I moved back to Phoenix, where um, where I grew up at the time, um, an animation studio, Fox Animation, opened up there, and I got hired. So I ended up just focusing more on my art, <laughs> doing animation for five years. Why? Why do you leave animation? I I don't I don't know the you know the specifics of you know like pay and that kind of stuff. But you know, we we just 
we hear about so many people that I mean, making it in comics is not an easy road to hoe, and it just it. It surprises me some of the people that stay in comics. I mean, is it is it a love of the medium? Because it's it's a hard industry to survive in. It is a hard industry, um, and it and it is a it is a love of the medium, and it is something where, um, you know, I was talking to I was talking to Tony Moore about this the other night, and uh, we, you know, I think I think we even discussed it the last time we were on your show. The um, comic books offer a creative freedom that you don't get anywhere else. When I have when I have an idea, I can I can translate it onto paper in in you know a visual interpretation of, of a script, and I can send that out to be printed, and you know it, it'll be read by by five to you know ten or fifteen thousand if it's an indie book or or you know even fifty thousand if you're doing stuff at Marvel DC or, or higher. The people who are seeing it are seeing you know the purest form of what your idea is. You know, um, in animation, you're a cog, and even if you're doing a lot of great work, you're doing a very small part of a very big, big film that is somebody else's vision. It's somebody else's story. It's somebody else owns it. So mm-hmm. there's something very personal about comic books, and it's you know, it is the one. It is the one place you're sort of free to do what you think you know and how do it the way you want. And I think if you look at comics, that's a lot of a lot of innovative and original things come out of comics because of that. Sure, you know, I look at I look at the the different titles that you've done in really a pretty pretty short amount of time. Uh, you look at you know Sea of Red and Strange Girl and Fear Agent and uh, and, and we're going to talk about you know Crawl Space and a little bit in Sorrow and the End League and uh, Blackheart Billy and um, uh, gosh I'm probably missing a, a couple others there, but I mean you always seem to have so many different projects going at one time. I, I can't imagine like if you were in a Hollywood setting trying to pitch all these projects. So I guess comics really is a way for you to get a lot of these ideas out there for, for consumption. I, I don't know if there's another yeah. another medium that you could do that in. There's not. It, there's, there's really not. Comics are absolutely unique in that sense. I mean, you could do novels, but I mean, in today's marketplace, like Selling two thousand copies of, an, of, a, of a paperback is considered, you know, like average for people starting off doing paperbacks. And that's mm-hmm. writing a novel. Yeah. Um, it's a real. That's a tough, tough, tough market, and it's not quite the same. Comic books offer a lot of a, a lot of possibilities that aren't that aren't uh, offered anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm and I'm addicted. I'm so addicted to it. I <laughs> I was uh, I couldn't quit. Now I went back. I guess a year and a half ago, I was. Um, working as a storyboard artist at Electronic Arts while I was also penciling Man with a Screaming Brain at Dark Horse and, and writing Nightmare and Strange Girl and Fear Agency of Red and, and really burning myself out badly. And when the choice came between finding more um, storyboard work, you know, and that is, that is good, good money, mm-hmm. or taking a huge pay cut to perpetuate the comic books that I had started, I chose the comic books. It's it's there's definitely nothing noble about the choice. Um, it, it's just it's just creatively very fulfilling. I mean, and, you know, I'll kill myself eventually because now I have uh, I have a reader base and, and people who like my like my stuff for some strange reason, and I'm I'm able to like now get these ideas made. I, I work with like just brilliant artists. I work with some of the best, and I mean, working with guys who can take these ideas and translate them so, so beautifully to the page 
it, it's a real thrill. I mean, I'm just as happy as a guy could be in his, in his work these days. But it's like when you get a really good idea, even if you're already doing five books, even if you're already working 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and just and just and just you know killing yourself, when you get that really good idea and you and, and you, you you'd write it out. And, and you send it to an artist buddy, and he draws something, and you pitch it, and the next thing you know, you got a publishing deal for it. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, uh, it's yeah, I, I'm going to kill myself because it is so much fun. It is so much fun to be able to have those ideas flushed out. And, um, you know, look, there's something for everybody. The people, like, you know, I think that, you know, um, the people who like Strange Girl didn't didn't read, uh, you know, fear agent. The people who read fear agent aren't aren't reading the end league. They're all they're all different genres, and people have. Even though I don't really understand it, because I, I like all genres. I think a, an interesting story and, a, and and strong visuals. You know, genre all comes down to just how you're dressing the thing up. It's uh, it's all it's all story, and then depending on what kind of a hat you put on the character, he's either a, a, a sci-fi guy or a cowboy or a cop. Um. But people, people all have their sort of references when it comes to genre, and it's nice to be able to have something that you could offer to anybody. Sure, absolutely. You know, you talked about about the artists that that you work with, and you have you have a long list of some really talented people that that have that have collaborated with you. And I wanted to go back to Fear Agent, and that that book when it started, I felt very much that, that was Rick and Tony's book. But boy, has Jerome Opena put his mark on that book he has i i i almost feel like he is as definitive an artist on that book as tony is anymore you look at what they've done and every time i mean and i've said this in in interviews before and it's just a it's a real it's a real treat to watch them step each other's game up Mm -hmm. because tony will come in and do one thing and then jerome will come in and and do it and step it up and then tony will come back and he'll step it way up and then Jerome will come back and step it up even further. And I think that what we've got now, um, the current arc that Jerome is doing is, I, I t- in my opinion, it's the best up on the stand. You can hold it up to anything being published, and I, and I say it will kick the shit out of it. I think Jerome is like probably one of the top five living comic book artists. Now, whether or not that, that that's publicly accepted, you know, or people want, or people know that. It hasn't been told to people, and people, you know, personal barometers for quality. They they need to have. Uh, there's that, you know, it's name value. There's a reason that you know that you have to get an A-list star to launch a movie. Sure. There's the and then the recogn, you know, the recognizable name. Yeah, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, whenever they're not recognized, it, it, that the work is is in, is any less. And I would I would agree his his stuff and and Tony Tony's a guy that I I, I look at his stuff. And I look at other stuff on the shelves, and it just it, it floors me that that more people aren't in love with his stuff. That's that yeah. they, they would well, they be if they read be. it. So it's it, well, and it's a time thing too. And you know what? I mean, if Tony had um, Tony has turned down opportunities to do higher profile projects to stay on Fear Agent, and and you know, uh, so is Jerome. These guys have t- turned down uh, higher profile things to continue to build something that we all personally have a lot of a lot of love for and think that will you know ultimately stand the test of time and be a, a series that will always be out there and, and always be selling in trade um yeah and they're both they're both absolutely brilliant i couldn't be you know i couldn't be luckier to have such great artists and they um 
they do they do keep stepping it up. The drums new arc is great, and I just got some of Tony's new stuff back for his designs for the next arc that he's doing. And um, we're doing a um, we're doing a sci-fi western for Tony's next arc. It's going to be a six issue. Uh, it's going to be a six issue story arc that'll that'll launch in June. Well, and, we know oh, we know man. that Tony does like to to draw the cowboy hats. That's tailor that's tailor made for him. Or you know, now that the exterminators is wrapped up, maybe he can move um, Stretch's hat over to to Fear Agent. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, another another artist that uh, that you're working with, and this is on on a co-write. I was actually it was great to see that you're co-writing something because it, it means that that you you realize that you know sometimes you have to you have to share the the writing duties. And uh, and I don't think that you could have picked a better guy than Seth Peck, who is uh, uh, definitely yeah. a guy that whenever his stuff does come out, and Seth is not a full time writer, so so you kind of have to be on the lookout for it. By seventy six, by the way, it's awesome. Um, but he's working on sorrow with you, and that's just about ready to wrap up, right? Yeah, the fourth issue is is being finished right now, and it'll be out in about three weeks, I think. And I'm really proud of it. It's a really creepy, fun little story. And working with Seth on that was a blast. He brought a lot of uh, he brought an entire other dimension to it that that I hadn't seen. And so that collaboration, you know, when you uh, when you collaborate, there's always a potential for disaster. And uh, by the time you're in bed with somebody and making something. Sometimes it's too late to turn around, and things aren't really gelling very well. And with Seth, it wasn't the case. It was uh, it was it was a, it was a great a great experience co-writing with him. The same as you know co-writing when I when I do stuff with with like co-writing with Kieran and Tony on Triple X Zombies. Mm-hmm. The um, you know that experience is just nothing but fun. There's never an argument. There's never a disagreement because we have the same brains. So it it it, it always it always produces a better product. Nice and, and sorrow, of course, with uh, uh, Francesco Francavilla, and and we talked this up. We had uh, we had Seth and Clay on a couple weeks ago to uh, talk about seventy six. So we covered all of the the sorrow stuff. But I have been enjoying it. It's a uh, it's a horror book that I feel like like any good horror movie has intensified in uh, in its suspense each issue. So it's uh, uh, I'm not a big horror fan normally, but I've enjoyed it. It's all story, you know. Like if it happens to be a horror or a crime, I mean. I think that it's all in how you play it. I think that, you know, if the inspiration for something... Like, for me, I'm not a big horror fan either, but here I've done so many horror books. I'm a fan of, like, the iconic imagery of really cool-looking monsters and the potential for the creepiness of things like the idea of possession and, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and nightmare things like exploring, exploring the psyche of, you know, of a, of a serial killer and things like that. That stuff is... It's horrific, and it's not like I've never been that enthralled by a guy with knives on his fingers, you know, coming to chop me up. You're not, you're or like the this this uh, trend of torture horror that's that's going oh. on. It's terrible. <laughs> Most of it. Little known, little known fact is that Steve Niles and I were supposed to write the Saw comic books. And uh, I'll, I'll probably put it put a nail in that from ever happening if anybody ever reapproaches me right now. But I had to watch all those movies, and we had to try and get our heads around how to you know how to do it. And it was you know I'm so glad it, it didn't end up happening. <laughs> 
Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're you're very much it's, it's suspense. You know, we talk about the the old EC stuff. I'm going through and and read. I've been picking up the archives as they come out, and I'm reading the the crime suspense stories, and I love. I just love the suspense of of yeah. that stuff, and and even the old tales from the crypt stuff is is so good. But uh, you talked about yeah, Weissen's properties uh, saw, but you you did. Uh, how was your how was your whole Battlestar Galactica experience? Uh, it was working working with Dynamite was great, and um, you know it was fun. I I found that like with something like that, when you're dealing with um, you know uh, you're dealing with the classic version of a moder- of a show that's been revamped and mm-hmm. is currently ex- you know enjoying a lot of success, and the people who are still heavily invested in the classic are really really invested <laughs> in it. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. So when you when you use Daggett incorrectly or uh, or even even slightly incorrectly or if you have a vent system in in the old galactica that wasn't there by the original blueprints they get they get kind of pissed and vocal <laughs> are you serious yeah but, <laughs> so i mean I, I got some mail <laughs> that was pretty it was pretty funny and i just kind of discovered for me that that's not really my scene and i I'm not really built for that, you know? Like, you know, I'm proud of the Battlestar book that, that I did, and it was fun. But it's like when, when people's, when people's, um, percep- when people's focus is on the, the detailed minutia of yeah, continuity, sure, sure, and not yeah. the fun of story, then you've already lost at that point, you know? We definitely want to talk about your new series, and at, at this point, the uh, the first issue is out, and that is uh, the End League, which you're doing with Matt Broom. And uh, you had described this uh, back whenever we talked to you a, a few months ago as the Watchman meets Lord of the Rings in a, in a very recommender way. So how's the uh, how's the reaction been for your uh, your Watchman Lord of the Rings mashup on uh, after the first issue? Well, yeah, and just to make sure that the listeners know that that's in theme only. I am I am not comparing myself to Alan Moore nor Tolkien in any way, shape, or form. I had a couple people <laughs> misconstrue that and come at me a little angry, and I'm like, "Look, guys, no, I'm a I'm, no." We we kind of we kind of poked fun at you on uh, a, a couple weeks ago on the show, uh, knowing that you oh, knowing that you, you. <laughs> knowing that you would probably hear it. <laughs> Well, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where you get so used to, like, it, it, in order to pitch story to people, mm-hmm. you have to give them recognizable examples of what you're combining. And, you know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my, my influences on my sleeve on this one. It's not, it's not a new story. It's not an innovative, original story. It's, it's derivative, and that's mm-hmm. the idea. I mean, it is, it's like if I'm going to do superheroes, I want to do something that's completely, you know, dialed into everything that I dug as a kid, and in this case, it's like the days of future past, mm-hmm. mixed with, um, you know, uh, amalgams of some of my favorite characters with, with, with you know, Elseworlds, what-if kind of tweaks on them, and, and I just want to set them out and do a thing. I don't want to have to build a bunch of new characters or figure out new powers. I, I I don't care enough sure. about superheroes. And, and I and I I got what you were what you were saying with that, and it and it definitely it, it draws from Watchmen. It draw it has the quest of Lord of the Rings, and those were those influences yeah. were obvious there. So I was just kind of poking yeah, not fun to get at you. I, you know, people have the thing is strange is that like um, the the response to this has been amazing, like amazing. Awesome. We've 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 sold seventeen thousand copies in two weeks or something. Issue two's numbers came in at like twelve thousand, which you know, I mean, I hate to talk numbers, mm-hmm. but in in today's industry, 
That's like good. when you're doing creator-owned independent books, you live or die by your numbers. That's your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And if you're not selling, you know, it's, it's tough to keep the things going. People who have followed me and read my stuff, mm-hmm. they've, they've, they've learned to trust that I'm not going to bail out of a story before it's told the way I want it to be. Um, like Strange Girl, Strange Girl made it to issue 19 as planned. And to be, you know, to be honest, the sales on that were really low by the end. And I think it's some of my best work. And you know, I worked with with just absolutely brilliant artists. Yeah. And I, it's I think... interesting because you know, I, it's not. I don't let the numbers take away my pride in something and how and how um, I can comfortably hand Strange Girl to somebody and feel really, really like confident and proud that like, even if they don't like it, you know, I don't, I don't really care because I like it so much and I have that, you know, not to be self, self. You know, aggrandizing or anything, but you have that feeling of like pride in what you've done there. Um, I think I think that is that is a book that will certainly gain a second life in trades, and, and I hope it I hope it does. Have you ever thought about putting Strange Girl out as a definitive edition, combining the entire series into one? Um, even you, know, I, you obviously wouldn't want to go like black and white or anything like that, but but sure. putting the entire story in one volume. We we have, and I think that it's it's gonna it's gonna we're gonna have to wait a little while until mm-hmm. the trades have, have sort of almost sold out, sure. which might be. It, they're and they're selling fairly regular, so it might be about a year and a half away. And once the once the first four volumes, once the, the trades have sort of you know have sort of disappeared, um, I, that's something I would like to do is collect all four into one hardcover mm-hmm. and then put that out as sort of a definitive you know edition for for a good price. That would be outstanding. You know, we, we talk about the uh, you know how how much work you put out and and all of the different the different ideas that you have and you and you always seem to have several series going uh have you ever thought about doing an original graphic novel you know to this point you you you've basically stayed in the in the 22 page comic or the 24 how i i'm i'm sure that there are some um larger issues that you've done but do you ever feel the need to say hey this this needs to break out of the single issue format and i i feel like i've got a 160 page story that i need to tell as a graphic novel Sure. I mean, you know, the end league is that, and it's strange because I, I look at, at floppies as a way to pay and incre- to get the book for to get to the trade mm-hmm. and the collections, and, you know, um, which are go which sell to a completely different market at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I look I look at it as the floppies are not only a way to get those incremental deadlines accomplished towards making it to a 160 page you know book. But also as advertising for the book as it's out there, and um, yeah, I mean it's also frustrating because if it were something that was just released as a 160-page graphic novel, then you don't deal with that first issue, uh, the first issue blues, mm-hmm. which sure. are like in the case of some books, um, the first issue can be bumpy, or you you might have difficulties with you know some some parts of it, and those things might be completely resolved by the by page 10 of issue 2. And if you do it to, you know, straight to an original graphic novel, you never deal with people sort of um, making their their assessments on just a 22-page opening sequence to something. You know, that's like, like going into a movie and watching 10 minutes and then having to leave for a month 
and and that be your impression of the movie until you get the next installment. That's it. That's so, and, and I tell you what, that's that's kind of what I felt with the end league. That there was a lot of information in the first issue, and I felt like the first half of that first issue was a lot of setup, a, the, a huge amount of information getting you caught up to what that world was, and then I felt like right. the second half of the first issue. I felt like, okay, the setup is kind of done, and now we get into this story. And and I could just feel, it's like, wow, he really had to get a lot of stuff in this first issue to hook people into it. And that's when I start feeling, it's like, wow, maybe this is something that um, that, that could be paced out more in, in a graphic novel. Because it's, it's a cool story. I just sometimes hate seeing people limited by the amount of pages that they have available for a first issue on, on a story yeah. that big. And having to hook people with that as well, and sure. there's so many things that go into it. Not only hooking them, but setting it up, but having a cliffhanger. Um, it can really change what you're doing, and sometimes not for the better. Mm-hmm. In the case in the case of um, End League, I think people who stick around um, for issues one, two, three will get a, a, a clean and clear idea of what is going on. And um, I think that it'll obviously read really well as a trade. I, I hope people enjoy it. It's um, it's it's not groundbreaking. It's it's just it's a lot of homages to things that I enjoyed in superhero comics as a kid that I would never be able to do at Marvel or DC that I wanted to just you know take some uh, some archetypes and mix them up with some other archetypes and and tell sort of the the last their last story. And you mean you couldn't have cool. Thor fight Superman at anywhere else? <laughs> well, they, they I could and they have, but it wouldn't have the same ramifications that it has in issue two of the end league. You know, like the uh, the end results are, are, would be would be quite different, and everything would have to return back to the status quo when it was finished. Sure. So <laughs> it's nice in the in the sense that the, what happens in this, you know, if it, if the series runs twelve, fifteen, twenty issues, um, what, to get to get to its end, it's 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 you know end conclusion point here, then um, it, you know as it plays out, the consequences of what of what happens are are, are real to the characters and. Uh, Well, you got um, uh, one thing that we that we haven't mentioned yet, and you'd mentioned uh, your buddy Karen Dwyer, who is uh, sneakily one of those uh, one of those really talented artists out there. And are you are you still uh, doing the the studio with with Karen? Yeah, we have an office downtown, um, uh, joining with the um, the Periscope Studios with mm-hmm. Steve Lieber and Jeff Parker, and 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 those guys, and um, and here in Portland. So yeah, and. We end up going down there, and I'll, I'll do I'll do two or three days a week down in the office just to get out of the house, and Great. so we can cook up some ideas and you know hang out. That's awesome. And you guys are uh, together with Tony Moore working on Crawl Space, which is your your umbrella uh, title for your your horror anthology, which is uh, the the first story is Triple X Zombies, and uh, really been enjoying that. More just kind of fun, crazy stuff. I think uh, we've talked about it probably two or three times since you guys cooked it up. And uh, how do you describe it? The uh, the kind of the end all be all zombie story for comics now. Well, it was the idea was to jump the shark and to have as much fun as we could with it. Um, you know, I think it's 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 you can't question that like Tony with The Walking Dead and Kieran with Remains, they pretty much launched with you know with with uh, Kirkman and Niles. The four of those guys, those two books sort of launched the the entire uh, 
zombie craze. Mm-hmm. So as it as it took as the as the zombie craze took hold of comic books for a number of years, um, when Tony and Kieran you know distanced themselves from it and started to do other things towards the tail end of it, I guess about a year and a half ago, we just started talking about doing a sort of final hoorah, but it would be completely lighthearted and funny. And uh, the hook we came up with was Boogie Nights of the Living Dead, so that we basically set it in 1977 on the San Fernando Valley with a cast of, of orange stars amid this zombie apocalypse. The only thing that you're missing is an Arthur Soydum variant cover. And then right. And then you're all set. Uh, what's it like uh, following up Gail Simone, and uh, and what are you looking forward to uh, on the all new Adam? Uh, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking the book. I mean, I, I think what what Gail and um, and what Grant Morrison built with the character, and they mm-hmm. sort of laid down this this foundation, which was a, a tweak on on the original, setting him in in this very sort of uh, strange, taking Ivy Town into a place where it was this sort of strange and, and twisted twisted city. Um, I'm I'm really infusing it with the sort of high adventure hijinks that we that I that I you know that I use in Fear Agent, and I'm having a ton of fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm exploring using the science end of it a little bit more, and uh, and the, the potential for uh, you know for just big pulpy high adventure hijinks. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't be having more fun. I think that you know um, when I first when I first got the assignment, it was it was interesting, and I was you know obviously excited to get started on it, but I had no idea the affinity I would, I would have for this character. It's been a, been a real treat, and I hope it, people pick it up. It seems like it's going to be a perfect fit for you. I have a couple questions. First of all, are are Ryan and Giganta going to continue their um, interesting relationship? Uh, possibly. Okay. I. I, I, I I don't want to give away too much, but Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, and uh, there's there's some things going on with the Adam. Uh, Ryan ends up going on a bit of a journey, uh, so he's he's going to be on a on a, on a he's going to be gone for a little while. I'll, oh. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, are we going to see more head? Yes, you're gonna you're gonna get head. We love head. We love head. <laughs> Any more reappearances of the uh, miniature Cthulhu god? Um, I yeah yeah I do have something planned for 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 that in in, in one of the upcoming issues. Why did I why did yeah. I have a feeling that that was uh, a character or a plot point that you just couldn't steer away from? I, I thought uh, yeah. I, start, <laughs> I started thinking of you on the book. It's like oh yeah he's going to start using the the miniature Cthulhu god again. That's yeah <laughs> the, the Cthulhu living in the sewers. I mean how do you not? It, it, that, yeah, the setup, the stuff that's been set up is so much fun to play with. It's, it's been a blast. I, you know, and then seeing what Pat has been turning in on the pencils, it's like the work of his career. It's just gorgeous and, and covers by a drone. I, I really hope that people will pick this up. Oh, it's if you if you haven't been reading it anyway, um, it was uh, Gail Simone and John Byrne to start with, but then Mike Norton has been on the book for about a year now, and, and Mike has been uh, he's one of our buddies and he's been awesome on it. So while we hate to see Mike leaving the book, it's it's exciting. You're about the you're one of the only people where I'm like, ah, oh, okay, well I'm, I'm going to have to stay on the book now because i know that i know that it's right up your alley it's obviously dc so it's mainstream but the atom is a little bit off the beaten path do you feel like you're going to be able to to play with the character a little bit more and bring more of 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 rick into the book than you would be able to with a lot of other titles absolutely absolutely it's um 
it's been a treat. Siglain, uh, Mike Siglain, my editor on it, when we talked out the first, you know, the first storyline, um, he's been so supportive. It's just been amazing to work with. And yeah, he has, you know, his notes are great. His story instinct is great. And working with him and getting this thing together, I, I, um, you know, some jobs you take and you don't, re- you don't really re- realize that it's not a fit until you're in it. This, mm-hmm. this, I, I didn't know it would be a fit and it turned out to be just an absolute fit. I couldn't be having more fun or be, you know, more proud of what we're producing. I think that, um, anybody who hasn't been reading it, who picks up issue 21 will, will be hooked. I'm, I'm pretty confident to put my, uh, Put my arrogant hyperboil behind that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, and and it does. Uh, you can do anything with that character that you want to, and that's uh, so much uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, it just fits right in, right into you know everything that you've done before. All right, well, Mister Remender, it is always a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I'm sure that the next time we talk, you'll have another eight or fifteen new projects that you have uh, cooking up. So uh, until that time, thanks a lot, and uh, and we'll and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for having me on. All right. And a big thanks to Rick. It's always fun talking with him. He's one of the hardest working men in comics. So like I said at the beginning of the interview there, uh, check out his stuff at rickremender.com or head on over to the image message boards and you can always find out what he is up to there. Now let's jump across the pond, talk to our good mates John and Matt, the quiet panelologist at work, as they edutain us about the A to Z or Z of British comics. Hello and welcome back to the quiet panelologists at work, A to Z of British comics. Ooh, what letter are we on? Today, John, we are on the letter J. Okay. Which is good, because I've got a very good J. Have you? What have you got? Uh, I'm smoking a big fat J. That's a funny joke. No, I've got J, Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd, Judge I've Dredd. heard of Now, everyone knows who Judge Dredd is. Born 2nd of May, 1945, Alexander Minto Hughes, better known as Judge Dredd, was an English reggae and ska artist. He was the first white recording artist to have a reggae hit in Jamaica. And most yeah. of... What? Hang on, hang on, hang on. What? I think you've pulled up the wrong Wikipedia page. Have I? Oh, yeah, hang on. Oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Judge Joe Dredd is a comics character whose strip in the British science fiction anthology 2000 AD is the magazine's longest-running character. Ah, Judge, he runs. He does, he runs, he runs around. Get a bike. Well, yeah, he can use his bike. He's not using his bike. Mainly he runs. All right. He was featured in 2000 AD since its second issue, John, back in 1977. That's nearly as old as me. What? Do you mean he came before the film? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. He wasn't invented by Sylvester Stallone. No. Judge Dredd is a law enforcement officer in the violent city of Mega City One, based in the future in the year 2000 AD. Oh my god, um, that's not the future yeah. anymore, though. Well, yeah, but they're still called 2000 AD. Judge Dredd is among Britain's best-known homegrown comic book characters. Think that, that every year, since he was created in 1970-whatever, yeah, every year of publication, he has got a year older. Has he? 
Yeah, he's actually got a year older. So now Judge Dredd is like 60 years old. That's just silly. Which means that at some point they're going to have to kill him off, surely. Maybe, or maybe in the future, in the year 2000 AD, they can like make your life longer. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. If he gets a year older every year, mm-hmm. and the strip started in the year 2000, it's now in the year like 2030-something. Blimey. So it's, it works. Futuristic, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Who was he created by? You know what, John? Funny you should ask that. Yeah? Because was he created by John Wagner? Actually, when Pat Mills started developing 2000 AD, back in 1977, he brought in his former writing partner, John Wagner, to develop characters. And Wagner right. had written some kind of dirty Harry-style tough cop story for some other titles and suggested taking Judge Dredd into like a futuristic world. So it'd be Dirty Harry meets the year 2000. Year 2000. In a future version of New York City. Okay. His look was invented by Carlos Esquera. Mm. He's Spanish. Is he actually Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a small world. It's a small world. <laughs> Imagine. So, anyway, J, Judge Dredd. Okay. My J is Jackie. Jackie? Who's she? Well, Jackie was a weekly magazine for girls. Ugh. I know, girls reading comics. Weird. It was published by DC Thompson & Co., from 1964 to 1993. Basically, it was a mix of fashion, beauty tips, gossip, short stories and comic strips. Doesn't that sound like your kind of magazine? I'm after getting hold of it straight away. You can't buy it. It's not published anymore. Okay, good. Now, rumour has it that the title was named after Jacqueline Wilson. Who's she? Who is a writer. Because oh. she worked there at DC Thompson just before she became a successful children's author. She says it's true, but it's been denied by everyone else involved. Wow. So, you know, take it for what you mean. I don't think it's true. I'm going to confirm it. Okay. It's confirmed. Well done. Thank you. Now, it's popular with teenage girls, obviously. It's famous for its Kathy and Claire problem page, where girls would write in with their teenage-type problems, and imaginary people called Kathy and Claire would solve them for them. Much like... Today's, I don't know, Cup of Joe. Yes. Usually the comics dealt with, like, romance stories or family issues or or something like that. Girly stuff. Girly stuff. Believe it or not, no one ever wore a cape. Oh. So, I mean, if that sounds like your bag, then I'm sure you can find back issues from somewhere. Stories about teenage girls having problems. Yeah. That sounds like my cup of tea. Okay. (laughs) I think this year there was an annual released or some kind of book with old Jackie stories in it. Cool. Yeah, so there you go. Buy that. Jackie, a girl's comic. I know, weird. <sighs> Strange. Well, there you go, then. That's Jay in the A to Z of British comics. Judge Dredd for the boys. And Jackie for the girls. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Thank you, John. Thank you, Matt. Always fun to hear from the quiet panelologists at work. Remember, you can check out their podcast on the web by going to panelologist.com. They're also members of the Comics Podcast Network, just like we are. You can find more great shows like ourselves, Quiet Panelologists at Work, Collected Comics Library, and a ton of others by going to www.comicspodcast.com. A 
Around Comics is proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, you can visit them at heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. And as a quick note, I'll be at WonderCon in San Francisco at the end of February, and I'll be working at the Hero booth for a couple hours each day. So if you would like, drop by and make a donation to some veteran creators in need, and I'll be able to chit-chat with you for a few minutes if uh, if you're so inclined. And also, we'll be doing a podcaster's panel on Saturday at 5.30. And Rick Remender, who you just heard a little while ago, is going to be moderating that panel. So it'll be a chance to uh, drop by, meet Rick, and some of your favorite podcasters. So thanks again for all the support to Hero Initiative over the last year. You guys have made a huge difference. But don't stop there. Keep donating. Answer Man, it's the time of the week when I lay prone on the mat of comic book fandom and you drop an atomic elbow on me. From the top rope. And this first question comes from not a man, but from a woman. Let's see what she has to say. Hi, this is Cajun Bliss out in not so sunny California. I am, um, well, at least it's not as bad as it is in the Midwest. I mean, we do have a bit of rain, but nothing to complain about. Um, I love your show, and I've listened to it religiously for the past couple months with my husband. I do have a question for the answer man. I'm currently reading a lot of older Wonder Woman comics, and she has a sidekick called Etta Candy, who is um, a candy heiress or something. She's kind of a cute, chubby girl who runs around and gets in sticky situations. And I'm wondering whatever happened to her, because... In many ways, she parallels Jimmy Olsen for uh, Superman, and, um, you know, I just kind of wonder, did she get married? Did she go to Jenny Craig? I mean, whatever happened to Etta Candy with Wonder Woman? And um, also, I I guess if you could just talk about sidekicks in general and give us uh, your thoughts on that. Um, why do some sidekicks disappear and others go on and become superheroes. Thanks. Keep up the great work. And uh, good luck with tax season. Bye. That might be one of the best questions we've gotten so far. A question about Etta Candy, of all people, and about sidekicks. I love talking about sidekicks. I've often thought about starting a conversation just about sidekicks. Uh, If you want to know what happens to Etta Candy... the nature of Wonder Woman is the, is very interesting. Wonder Woman has literally been the character that they started over at one point. In 1986, they just said nothing that happened before counted. And then they just started over. And it does count, obviously, to a lot of you. It counts to me. I mean, those stories still exist. So don't, don't let that stop, all you pre-crisis fans. But Eddie Candy, the early Eddie Candy, which is a bit of a smart ass, eventually 
disappears pretty much from Wonder Woman canon in uh, the 80s. She's revived. And she's like, <laughs> she's a roommate, I believe, of uh, Diana Prince. And she's like weight conscious. and But she's sort of meek. She doesn't have the sort of ballsiness that the original Ida Kayandi had. Uh, after Crisis, she shows up as a love interest for Steve Trevor. He's no longer uh, Wonder Woman's love interest. And she's just been reintroduced in the new continuity with uh, Gail Simone. It's just Etta Candy as being an intelligence officer. And Etta Candy is an example of sort of a character that has a good idea behind it that I don't think latched on. She's the Robin that doesn't hold on to it. And I love the character Etta Candy. I think she's so reflective of whatever time period she is. She's so reflective of the writer. Well, however the writer feels about Wonder Woman, I think almost that's how it goes with that type of character. Sometimes they make them strong. Sometimes they make them weak. They reintroduce them as being aggressive. They reintroduce them as being the pushover. And... I love sidekicks. I love sidekicks, and I think that maybe ties into my love more for the DC than the Marvel. I've always, I've always had a soft spot because, in Wally West is one of my favorite characters, and he started off as a sidekick. You know, Dick Grayson started off as a sidekick, but he's his own character, and some that that pays off in a weird way emotionally. And I know I railed against continuity, I railed against all that stuff, but someday I still attach myself so much to these characters. And I don't get pissed, but I also, I, I sort of revel in the joy of them growing up a bit. And that's the great thing about sidekicks, I think, is a, a, a sidekick that's treated well. You know, you look at Marvel, you look at Bucky, what Brubaker's done with Bucky is amazing. And take that character and say, listen... The idea behind what, whatever mask someone wears, it's just a mask. You can put that on anyone, and the tension, the story tension, comes from how does Blank deal with it? How does Bucky deal with being Captain America as opposed to Steve Rogers? How does Wally West deal with being the Flash as opposed to Barry Allen? Though that's the interesting thing. It's not the mask. The mask isn't the character. It's the, it's the name on the book, but it's not the character. The character is somebody you know, and they all of a sudden get thrown. What if you got thrown into some situation, and all of a sudden you have a title attached to you that isn't necessarily what you think of yourself as? Think of it that way. Think of that with characters like Bucky, with Wally West, and think about why people love that so much, because you get to see characters who you love for who they are, and all of a sudden they get a mantle thrown on them that maybe they didn't ask for. And that's what's so, that's what's so beautiful about that, those type of situations. And they don't always happen all the time. Oh, they don't. You know, you can look at Wally West. They might have backed into it. I have another question. This is, this is the bonus round from Mr. Lloyd Finger. He's asking about what showcases should he get. I'm going to paraphrase his very long email. We had a bit of a conversation. The showcases, the essentials, I want to get this out there. The black and white stuff, the archive type stuff that people want to get in black and white, 
cheap. What are the things I recommend? I recommend three books as being fantastic reads. Jonah Hex, DC Showcase, amazing. Beginning to end. Unknown Soldier from DC Comics. A little weak at the beginning, towards the end becomes truly amazing. It becomes a great war story. And I, I just love reading those stories. From Marvel, Howard the Duck. Get the essential. I know they're coming out with an omnibus, but I'm telling you, they have to do some major work on that coloring to match up the, just the amazing Gene Colan art and just the Steve Gerber writing. It's just, it's a perfect match of the of visual storytelling, of writing and art. And the black and white doesn't hurt. I know some people say, I don't read the black and white. I can't read something that's if it's in black and white. That's not how it was originally shown. Well, sometimes... The original way it was printed wasn't the best way. And that's how it goes. You, know, you watch remastered movies? I don't. I think it's bullshit. That's a topic for a different thing. But I've answered your questions. That's what's important. If you have more questions, send them to me at Tom at Around Comics or TomCaters at Gmail. I'm also doing a separate podcast for my Justice League recaps. You get to hear me be awkward audio-wise. I'm not so loose all the time. That's what happens. Good night. Jeremy W. Mullins is passionate about comics. So passionate, in fact, that he teaches sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And each week, Jeremy drops by to point us in the direction of some of the best and brightest that the world of webcomics has to offer. So here is Jeremy with this week's webcomic recommendation. This week I'd like to recommend the webcomic Nothing Better by Tyler Page. It's a, it's a really good uh, slice of life uh, comic that takes a look at two two girls that are going to school at a Lutheran college. Uh, one is a very studious young woman named Jane, and then she's got her party animal crazy roommate Catherine. Uh, at first, it appears to be just kind of your stereotypical college experiences. You know, people questioning religion, faith, sex, all kind of stuff like that. But as you, as as you read further, um, much like in real life with real young people who go to college, you might at first appear to be stereotypes or or enter college in in you know fairly stamped out uh cookie cutter kind of roles as they interact with different kind of people and as they mature and as they they take on more adult responsibilities they, they round out and they, they they get more facets to their personality and and i really found this work uh engrossing um you know there's no Explosion. There's no danger. There's no spies. There's no superheroes or capes. But it made me feel like I was back in college. It made me really uh, miss those years and and feel like I was there. Um, there it features some really really solid meat and potatoes artwork. Um, every now and then there's you know these pretty pretty good you know background flares. Uh, his characters are definitely distinguished from one another. His style is consistent and and great for this kind of lengthy storytelling. It's got a sprinkle of Strangers of Paradise, maybe a dash of Degrassi. Um, if if you're missing uh, Strangers in Paradise, 
check this out. It's a little less melodramatic, um, and and I just yeah, found it engrossing. Uh, when I I read the first few pages, and then before I knew it, I'd I'd read most of them. Uh, I I love college. Uh, it made me feel like I was back in college, and I definitely recommend it to you this week. So if you want to find nothing better. Um, it's part of the Webcomics Nation site at webcomicsnation.com. However, to, to actually get to nothing better, it's, it's kind of a lengthy URL. The best way to find this webcomic is to pull up Google and just type in nothing better. And it'll be the first thing that comes up. Um, and you can check out the site. Uh, so, go do it. For Around Comics, I'm Jeremy W. Mullins. Jeremy is a professor of sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. You can find out more about the school and their programs of study by going to www.scad.edu. Now is the point in the program where we get you ready for the week ahead. Always lots of fun stuff coming out at the comic shop each week. Here is Chris Marshall with his Trade 5 to let us know what is coming out in new trade paperback and collected edition releases. These are books shipping Wednesday, February 6th, 2008. And as I reported last week, Batman False Faces was supposed to come out last week in January, but it has been postponed until this week, February 6th. Just a reminder, it will collect Batman 588 through 590, Detective Comics 787, and Wonder Woman 160-161, and Batman Gotham City Secret Files, all for the price of 20 bucks. Justice League of America Volume 2 The Lightning Saga hardcover is finally out. This collects JLA 0 and 8 through 12, and Just Society of America 5 through 6 for 25 bucks. Superman Chronicles Volume 4 come out. This, of course, collects all of the Superman Golden Age stories in softcover form. This collects Action Comics 26 through 31 and Superman 6 and 7 for $15. Next up, we have a classic Wonder Woman trade paperback, Diana Prince Wonder Woman Volume 1. This will collect Wonder Woman 178 through 184 and Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane number 93 for $20. Countdown Special OMAC is out this week from Jack Kirby. This, of course, is the 80-page giant Countdown Special. A few of these have been coming out, and I talked about these not too long ago on my show. This book will collect OMAC number 1 from 1974, Warlord 37 through 39 from 1980, and DC Comics Presents number 61 from 1983. Fan favorite Scalped gets a second trade paperback. This will collect 6 through 11 of Scalped for $15. Moving over to Marvel, the Essential Avengers Volume 6 trade, collecting Avengers 120 through 140, Giant Size Avengers 1 through 4, and Captain Marvel 33 and Fantastic Four 150 for $17. Thor Visionaries, Walt Simonson, Volume 5, The Trade, collecting Thor 375 through 382 for $25. Supervillain Team-Up, Moodooks, 11 trade paperback, collecting 1 through 5 of that series for $14. Ultimate Spider-Man, Volume 19, Death of a Goblin trade, collecting Ultimate Spidey 112 through 117 for $15. And Marvel Adventures, Iron Man, Volume 2, 
Iron Armory Digest, collecting Marvel Adventures Iron Man 5 through 8 for $8. Nothing really strikes me as far as really interesting coming out from Dark Horse or Image this week. So let's move down to Oni Press, which has out the Jumper Jump Scars graphic novel. This, of course, is a prequel to the upcoming Hayden Christensen and Samuel L. Jackson feature film for $15. Also, Tomorrow's Publishing has the All-Star Companion Volume 3 of the trade paperback going over all the Justice Society books for $27. Not a whole lot of news coming out this week, but we did get a press release from Marvel, and what it contained in it was updates to not only monthly books, but also trade paperbacks and hardcovers as far as their contents go. And I've got a link over on my homepage regarding this information. But let's run down a little bit of the trade information that was contained in it. Ultimate Iron Man 2 Premier Hardcover is getting a new release date. It was expected to come out in April. It is now going to be coming out July 16th. So if you pre-ordered that Premier Hardcover, uh, be aware it's going to ship a few months late. The Spider-Man Premier Hardcover of One More Day will be priced at $24.99 and not the $19.99 as originally solicited. X-Men vs. Apocalypse Trade Paperback Volume 1, the 12, was solicited containing X-Men 1999 yearbook and running 280 pages. This will now contain X-Man, X-Man 59 and run 304 pages. So I take it that they're going to take out the yearbook and put in issue 59 of X-Men. That's kind of the way I'm reading it. Uh, the Incredible Hulk Omnibus. They are getting rid of the movie variant edition. As you guys may know, Marvel has been doing this a lot with the movies coming out. They're bringing out not only the original cover art from the Silver Age, but also a variant uh, done by someone like Alex Ross and then a third variant, which is the movie version cover. Well, they're getting rid of the movie version cover for The Incredible Hulk. Uh, everything else remains the same as far as price and contents. The Miss Marvel Premier Hardcover Volume 4 Monster Smash will be 168 pages, not 160 pages, as originally solicited. And another page count that is due to change, The Mighty Avengers Premier Hardcover Volume 1 the Ultron Initiative will be 168 pages, not 144 pages. That's about it. Any more information, come by my website, clicktocomicslibrary.com, and you can get all sorts of trade goodness over there. So, for Around Comics, I'm Chris Marshall, Click to Comics Library. See ya! Chris is the host of the Collected Comics Library podcast, and if you like that last segment, you can certainly check out more of his stuff by going to CollectedComicsLibrary.com, where each week he breaks down all of the Collected Edition releases and goes really in-depth on stuff. So thanks again to Chris. Now let's get you ready for the single issues that will drop this week. Here is Around Comics' own Mr. Tom Caters. Welcome to the new releases for Wednesday, February 6th. We'll start right off with DC Comics. We have the all-new Adam, number 20. The last issue by Gail Simone, Mike Norton. Mike Norton skyrocketing 
to the top of comic book fandom. Get on board now. This is the last chance to get probably something that will be worth thousands of dollars in the future. I know I'm making Mike cringe talking like this right now. And that's why I enjoy it so much. We have Countdown to Final Crisis number 12. I just mentioned that. I know it's been coming out every week. I've gotten slightly excited. But I've only been excited because it's gotten to this sort of ridiculous point of killing tons of characters. Now it goes back to the stories that made me bored. We'll see what happens with that. We have Jonah Hex number 28. Jonah Hex, perhaps the most solid book coming out from DC right now. I love the qualities. The art is always fantastic. The writing's always fantastic. I love that book. We have, and this is the most exciting, Justice Society, Justice, Justice Society, number 12, Jeff Johns, Dale Eaglesham, the continuation of Thy Kingdom Come. I can't get enough of this book. I love it when you truly see someone writing a book where they're nailing it, where they're getting the characters, they get the stories. You see it right now, you see Jeff Johns doing it with Justice Society, I think you've seen him do it with Green Lantern, you're seeing... Brubaker, do it with Captain America. When you see a writer get a character and really tr- tell a story that you can legitimately look at and say, God damn, that is a fantastic story. I, I don't think I've read a better story about this character than this. I love it. You have Metal Man number six of eight coming out. Uh, I thought the last issue maybe came off the rails a little bit. I hope Duncan Rolla re- reels it in a bit. The art has been fantastic. The writing, I think, has been a little, little off, but I'm, I'm anxious. Teen Titans Year One, number two. Oh, Carl Cashel, you son of a bitch. You had me at hello. I love the art. Amy Wolfram, you also had me. I love this series. I'm hoping for more. From Marvel Comics, we have, you know, Brand New Day, still coming out, number 549. If you hated it, if you're still resenting it, didn't stop it from coming out, it's still coming out. We have Lords of Avalon, Sword of Darkness, number one. I don't know what the fuck this is. Written by Kinley McGregor, art by Robin Gillespie. I just said it because it popped up as the biggest. Uh, I've heard good things about Ms. Marvel, number 24. This is the part, you know, this is the part where I feel bad. Because I'm, I'm not as big of a Marvel fan. I feel like I let people down. I'm not giving them everything I have. The 12 number 2 is coming out. I love 12 number 1 by uh, JMS. So I suggest getting that. Ultimate Spider-Man's coming out. But you already know that's good. I don't need to fucking tell you that that book is good. Coming out from Vertigo. We have Exterminators number 26. Get it. Rumors are it's cancelled. Get it. Please awesome story fables number 69 the conclusion of the great good prince storyline i'm loving it i fables is incredible following up that high praise i also love northlanders which is about a viking who swears so take that with a grain of salt i love northlanders northlanders number three is coming out sculpt number 14 is coming out sculpt sculpt is amazing jason aaron is decimating my idea of what that book was going to be in the first three issues with what he's doing. He's doing a bunch of Marvel stuff, but don't ignore Sculpt. Sculpt is one of my favorite books that's coming out. The art by Arm Guerra is fantastic. His storytelling is fantastic. There, there's no compromise in any of those. I, I sound like I'm a hype man right now, but I love that 
now we go on to the indies. From Dark Horse, we have Abe Sapiem, The Drowning. Number one, writers Mike Mignola, artist Jason Sean, Alexander. The BPRD stuff has been fantastic lately. If you enjoy Hellboy but you feel a bit lost, single issue-wise, because the stories sort of go meandering off, pick up the BPRD books. I think they've surpassed Hellboy, almost in a way, story-wise. Get them, enjoy them, absorb them. Crawl Space, Triple X Zombies, number three, the Karen Dwyer art. Just for that, get it. The writing's okay. Sorry, recommender. It, uh, it doesn't go anywhere you're not expecting with porn zombies. And maybe I'm jaded, but the art is goddamn amazing. Uh, Overman, number three of five, Shane White. I love the art. The story, it's so dense. It's so dense. It, it, it's, it's weirdly intimidating, but I enjoy it still. Uh, we have Maintenance, number eight. Maintenance, I love this book so much from Oni. It's so funny. I love the art. I love the black and white. Pick that up, please. Make me happy. Make, make Tom happy. Have you? Did you make me happy? If you haven't, please do. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Mr. Caters. Hopefully you got a little bit of vindication for your Packers by the Giants beating the Patriots. So I guess uh, that would make you second best this year. Much more than we can say for our lowly bears. So that will take care of another Monday edition of Around Comics, the Comic Culture Podcast. Make sure to uh, come back on Thursday for Around Comics, the Comic Culture Roundtable, as the regular crew get together and talk about everything in and around the world of comics. Remember, you can email the show at info at aroundcomics.com or you can email me personally at chris at aroundcomics.com. You can visit us at Comic Space and MySpace. You can also uh, give us a review at the iTunes Music Store. You should all know that's one of my favorites by now. So thanks again for listening to Around Comics. We will see you or talk at you again on Thursday. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the expressed written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2008. I'm a loving baby one more time. I'm a loving baby one more time. Oh, you got me loving good, now you're gonna love me all alone. Why you got my love and left me alone? Why you got my love?
Oh, no.